name is Paul Matthew, and you're listening to the Digital Fluid Marketing Podcast. We are going to be talking about Facebook advertising with Chandler Versluce. He has hey, been... Paul. Hi, how's it going? Not bad. How about you? <laughs> Good. So Chandler is a social media marketer who works now with Emberly Digital. He just recently made the leap from nine to five to full-time uh, entrepreneur. And uh, you know, tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, I mean, I did a lot of digital marketing over the past year or so. I've always, I mean, I went to school for marketing. So once I did that, I realized that it is such a broad, nebulous term that really nobody really wanted marketing in such broad senses. Yeah, when I went to school, all the I would look into marketing jobs from the school board and it was it felt like a bunch of versions of Cutco or you know like network <laughs> yeah, marketing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like you have your um pyramid scheme companies. Yeah. Um so like, well, I mean maybe not necessarily pyramid schemes but like network um, marketing. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that and you end up with a lot of uh yeah, standing in in Meyer displaying a product. Either oh, yeah. that, and while well, what they taught you in school was, um, okay, here's how Schwinn pivoted when their bicycle became uh, irrelevant and they couldn't keep up with the competition. When it's like, so I'm either working in Meyer displaying a product, or I'm making decisions for Schwinn. How do I get from one to the other? Yeah, there's and there's really nothing a, in the middle. Yeah, there's no clear path. In school, they, they prepare you for a high level, but when they offer you like entry level, that doesn't really even make sense towards that mm -hmm. high level. It doesn't provide any valuable experience in that direction. Like this one in a million job. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. like nobody actually has that. <laughs> and to get there, like, I don't even know how you get there. Most times, it's probably just like someone who happens to have seniority in the company who gets to make those decisions. So, as someone who's gone through school <laughs> and gone through this process, what advice would you have to students who are listening to this who are trying to figure out their career goal? Pick something specific. That's definitely what I'd say because I graduated probably four years ago from school. And I had this degree in marketing. I applied for job after job after job. And I was like, I have this piece of paper. Why won't anybody hire me? And it, so years later, about three years later, I got more seriously into music. That's the reason that I got into digital marketing. And I realized after learning, okay, how do I make my footprint as a musician? A lot of it relied on digital marketing, things like YouTube ads, uh, Facebook ads, um, uh, Google stuff. So it all came down to that. And then once I learned that stuff, I realized, okay, now I have this toolkit of digital marketing expertise and holy crap, businesses really, really need this a <laughs> lot. And it always starts was... out as an accident. You go exactly. for one thing and it turns into something else. Yeah. There's a quote from uh, Jim Carrey that I absolutely love. Um, you can fail at what you don't want. So why not take a chance at what you love? And I think that was one of the, the single most important things to me after I finished college, after I realized, okay, I kind of wanted to do this like marketing thing because like it was kind of a good business decision. Mm -hmm. But what I really, really wanted to do was figure out how to connect with people and like tell a story mm. through, through something like music. And that led me to 
like pursuing that as hard as I could led to other offshoots, like helping businesses with digital marketing. Do you regret going to school or should students pursue school? I don't think I regret it. I think it can definitely help. I think it probably will continue to help me to be able to say, hey, I got the piece of paper too. <laughs> but I think school should always be something where you look at the end goal um, the same way as like running a marketing campaign. You look at your objective and everything else circles around that objective. Mm. Yeah, the way I see school is it's kind of a, a filter. If you're going into the job market, then school, a degree is kind of the starting point and you have to get through that. Otherwise, you're not going to get to the other side and get uh, one of those high paying jobs that you'd like. But at the same time, once you get past that like checkbox, then it's all skill. That piece of paper guarantees you nothing. It just gets you looked at. Yep. And it's the same thing with marketing. Um, as soon as I learned all these tools, I had to fail with them so many times before I figured out what people actually react to and what actually connects with people. Mm. <laughs> the tools are just tools still. The same thing as a degree. You can still apply them ineffectively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. So... Let's talk about Facebook advertising. Um, now, a little while back, you were telling me about this idea of audience buckets. So you kind of run multiple audiences, and then once one starts to tank, you switch to another. Can you expand on that idea? <laughs> yeah. So what's really, really nice about a lot of digital um, advertising spaces is that you can have a campaign, and since it's digital – it's basically run by algorithms and by robots. Mm -hmm. So they can automatically find the best results for you. So you create a campaign and you give it an objective. So you might give it something like web traffic or, mess or messages, um, something like that. Uh, you choose that campaign objective. And then uh, the second thing you need to do is choose an audience. So you're choosing who you're going to target. And the last thing you choose is the actual content of the advertisement. Mm -hmm. So on Facebook, you have campaign, you have ad sets, and you have ad creative. <clears throat> so typically in a good campaign, you want to test. Um, you want to test a few of those variables, depending on how much budget you have. It doesn't take a lot of budget to test each one. You want to test that creative. You want to test like what are people actually actually responding to. But you can also test the audiences. So you could take those uh, different people groups Um so you could divide uh, your audience up. Like if we we're talking about music, mm -hmm. we could divide people up into groups like um, people who like Coldplay. That's a huge audience right there. That's a huge band. It's been around for a long time. And you can look at the other pages that that person likes. You can um, find the most similar things that they like. So if they like Coldplay, they might also like Lifehouse or... Um, or maybe uh, the fray or something. And you could get like 10 different artists that are all similar. And then you do the same thing with a second artist. So you might choose like, uh, um, if you sound kind of like Coldplay, maybe uh, another artist might be <clears throat> like John Bellion or somebody a little more modern. Mm -hmm. You could find the other artists that um, people who like John Bellion also like. And then group those. And you basically create all these little audience segments that are totally separate from each other so they don't fight each other. So you might have like five different buckets of people. 
And then you program those all into the same campaign within Facebook and it will automatically, if you choose to, you can have it automatically optimized between them. It'll mm -hmm. advertise to the John Bellion people. And then as soon as that doesn't perform as well, those people are a little exhausted from seeing it, it'll shift over to that Coldplay audience and start showing it to those people and then it will shift to like your, I don't know, Goo Goo Dolls audience. And then, and those might have some overlap. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, <clears throat> those are just examples. Um, it'll kind of sift between them to find with the what the best results are. There's a long answer is it to your simple question. <laughs> <laughs> is it the same creative that's being shown to these people? Yeah, typically what I would do is test both. Um, I would test the... Um, add creative first, I would group all of the audiences into one massive audience. And then I would test the creative um, mm -hmm. on those to keep it fair. So we're advertising against the same audience. Um, so the only variable that changes is those, um, those um, ad content types. So mm -hmm. you might have five different ads stressing different factors that are important in the offer. Um, or things that appeal to people psychologically different ways. You mm -hmm. might have a couple different options for that. Once you've found one that is performing better than the rest, you then plug that into all the different audiences and test that exact same ad across all the different buckets of people. Mm -hmm. And then you find out where your best audience is and what your best message is. Now, when you go into Facebook, they have a built-in A-B testing. And when you go into there, it it really requires a large amount of money for it to be statistically significant. What's your opinion on that? And how would you advise people with tight budgets to get an accurate test? I think generally you can tell to some extent what the data is going to continue to look like pretty quickly. Um, the AB testing, it's very similar to just plugging it in and doing it yourself. Um, except Facebook will, basically find the winner and lock into that one and close the others down for you without asking, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I always like to do it a little bit manually. Um, <clears throat> you can plug all those audiences in and, um, or all the ad creative and, um, okay. How, how much, the question one yeah, more time. Yeah. <laughs> how much, should, so, yeah. How much should someone spend before they can conclude that that ad is something they should double down on? Um, to get a good idea of like what your cost per click is, mm -hmm. I'd say between, um, I'd say between five and $10 usually will get you there to know. And obviously mm -hmm. that changes a little bit over time, depending on, <clears throat> you know, the social proof that's going to show up on it. Once an ad appears to be popular, mm -hmm. people will respond to it differently than they would in the beginning. So you just recommend kind of a lowball number, just to get a general sense. Yep. Um, now, what do you do if they kind of seem very, very similar? There's, uh, you know, it may be a five, ten percent difference, but also your numbers are pretty low. So because that can have a massive impact. Yeah. Um, if you've got fifty people that saw it and thirty people liked one ad, twenty people liked the other, or forty ten. Uh, that's statistically uh, and a percentage-wise large, but considering the pool of people, it could go either way. Right. I definitely think that um, that's a little bit of why I like to do it manually instead of having Facebook do the split test mm -hmm. is because I like to find out, um, and it usually takes a little bit of time to find out <clears throat> exactly how people are responding because some um, 
some ad creative might trigger people to comment more. Some ad creative might trigger people to share it more or like it more versus click it more. Mm -hmm. Um, So whatever that objective is, if you are totally sold on, I need as many people to click this as possible. I don't care about the reactions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You want to, maybe you let Facebook do it or, um, or go with the, um, or go with the one that's getting the the lowest click. If you're Mm -hmm. like a penny uh, away from the best result, if you're like the second best result, but we got way more comments, way more likes, something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's an objective you want to choose. I would go for it. Okay. That's my opinion. Um, that makes sense. And if that, so the if the number is low, you kind of just kind of eyeball it. Then, like, what kind of control uh, group do you have? So, say, is that going to be a difference of maybe it was the time of day? Are you running these ads at the same time, or um, are you are there other variables that could influence the the results? Um, yeah, I definitely run them at the same time to test stuff, mm-hmm. uh, to test creative, to test audiences. How do you keep the audiences um, separate or separate but um, similar enough that you're not having overlap, but you're also not having two different audiences and making that a variable that could change what your click-through rate is? So you're saying like how to make sure they don't overlap is the main question? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Okay. Let's let's start there. What what do you do to make sure your audiences don't overlap? Yeah, so that part is kind of where I would go into audience insights on Facebook. So this gets a little bit granular. Um, but I would choose – depends on exactly how much time and how much budget you have. But if you have the time to do it, it's definitely a good idea. Um, I would go into audience insights, look up the the largest – Thing you're going to target in an audience, like I mentioned Coldplay as an example, and then you would find the similar page likes underneath that. And then you would create that audience out of people who like those, um, those other similar page likes that fall mm-hmm. under that category. Um, and then there's, um, when you look at that second audience, there's going to be a bunch of other page likes. You want to make sure that those don't intersect too much. Mm-hmm. And there's also a spot on Facebook where you can check out uh, how much overlap there is between audiences, which is good to check on once in a while. They don't usually overlap a lot, mm-hmm. but once in a while that does happen. Okay. Uh, so now let's talk about email lists because that's an important part and something that you have really looked into. And I know we went on an entire adventure out on the East Coast solely to collect yeah. email addresses <laughs> for, your, for your music. Uh, tell me about that strategy and the thought processes behind it, why you did it. So email lists in general, any marketer will always tell you that that's one of the best things you can get from people. Because anytime you can bring contact to one-to-one communication, that's going to save you money and it's going to create a lot more trust with people. Mm-hmm. So... That's definitely a good objective to go for because if you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on LinkedIn, anything like that, the platform can change mm-hmm. and then you can lose all of your um, And you can target your, your ads on those emails. That too. Yeah. That too. Yeah, you can you can plug in a custom list of emails to Facebook um, which also links to Instagram mm-hmm. and then it can target those people through the platform. Either that or you create a lookalike audience that finds people <clears throat> that are behaviorally 
if that's a word, behaviorally <laughs> and statistically as similar as possible yeah. to those people you already have. What's your success your been like with that strategy? With the email list? Yeah, with like lookalikes and targeted emails when it comes yeah. to advertising. Um, so the emails, I also do a lot of um, retargeting people that have been on certain web pages. Um, so that's, they also still use the email in that same sense mm-hmm. um, to do that, to, to link the, um, the page visitor to, um, to the Facebook user. Mm-hmm. Having to do a little bit, bit of uh, mental <laughs> gymnastics here. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but, uh, but that gets great engagement because if people visit a website, then they're familiar with the advertising that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, also with lookalike audiences. Um, I haven't done as much with specific email lists. Um, okay. No, there's a scenario I'm thinking of now, (laughs) but, uh, lookalike audiences are super, super effective. I created one out of, um, people who had seen 75% of a, of a video I created. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, with that, you do have to have a, a set of people that's at least a thousand. Mm -hmm. So if you have a thousand people, you can plug that in and get a good uh, lookalike audience. Yeah, that's so, what I've always struggled with is like my lookalike audience is always in less than a thousand people match the criteria. And was like, yeah, that's not yeah. helpful. <laughs> and even with, and especially that's what's um, kind of frustrating about emails. It's a lot of the time, if you don't have a thousand, you're not going to get accurate data. Or if those thousand came from thousand or more came from different sources, Mm-hmm. You might have very different looking people, mm. um, but it can be something where you could um, target people who did something like watched a video, mm-hmm. um, like I was mentioning. So I had a, a video where if people watch 75%, we created a lookalike audience and every single campaign I've run from that page so far, 75% lookalike audience has always been the best one. It's just mm-hmm. continued to be the best. Even if it's by a few cents, it's just... It continues to over. Do you have to have a thousand people that have watched seventy five percent or more of that video, or um, does there just have to be a thousand people that are similar to the people that watched seventy five percent? It's got to be a thousand who actually watched the seventy five percent. Okay. So it, it is a bit of a large number to <laughs> to yeah. get to. And if your video sucks and nobody watches seventy five percent of yep. it, or yep. you're, it's just going to cost you a lot of money to get it up there. Yeah. Mm. But How much can, would it cost? Does it normally cost you to get a thousand people that watch seventy five percent or more of your video? Um, the seventy five percent video views, in my experience, can range any range anywhere from to get somebody all the way to that seventy five percent mark can mm-hmm. be anywhere between like twelve and fifty cents. Mm-hmm. So you could probably spend a good couple hundred dollars and get somebody all the way through to that seventy. Get a thousand people through to that seventy five percent. Okay. And likewise, you can create a lookalike audience of people who visited a website. Mm-hmm. And that's another powerful tool because it's yeah, a lot easier that. to do that than get emails. I did that with my uh, weddings. So I anybody yeah. who went to my wedding landing page um, to learn about the wedding video I did, I created a lookalike audience based on those people. Which, for those listening that don't uh, know this world, you need to install what's called a Facebook pixel and you put that on your website. And that will track anybody who is going to your website. And if they're linked to a Facebook account, it's going to pull in the data from all of those people and find out 
what they look like and then create an ad campaign targeting people with similar behaviors. What he said. <laughs> <laughs> Great description, Paul. <laughs> I did it. Uh, all right. So now, how, do you develop audience personas? Do you have like a, an idea of, okay, this is the type of person? I know you talked a little bit about the music groups that they, some of their interests, but do you have a laid out, I'm targeting Bob. He does this. He likes that. Sometimes. Um, and there are sometimes when I'm running campaigns that are really, really specific. And those are some of my favorite because you don't have to do as much of that because you know what your consumer looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, a college I'm running, uh, ads for there, if they're running a advertisement for, for a bachelor's of science and nursing program, Mm -hmm. the person they're looking for is someone who's working in nursing as a registered nurse and has their associates. Mm. And so it's, you can target all of those things. Mm-hmm. You can target their, their job. You can target their education level and you can target their interests. So it's really easy to lock in on those, on those kind of people. And you other like, times it's a little harder. You like to kind of have a goofy personality when it comes to your advertising strategy. Um, I often do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it works for you, right? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely different uh, different kinds of campaigns that I'll run. I like to lean a little more over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you got to stand out. Like, if exactly. you're running a modest, run-of-the-mill campaign, people are just going to... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and that's what's different about um, dig- or about, I'm sorry, social advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Facebook, Instagram. Um, what's different about that than Google is Google is something where people are looking very, very specifically mm. for for a certain piece of information. You mm. want to actually be as boring as possible yeah. because you want to answer their question. And yeah, you want to be direct and concise. You want to be what they expect. Because it's intent-based marketing, whereas Facebook is intrusive advertising. Yeah, it's yeah. showing up where they don't expect you. So yeah. it's, so you have to like catch their attention, stand out, be yeah. fun. I remember you telling me about an ad you ran for a realtor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tender oh, for houses. Fun. Can, uh, tell us about that project. Yeah. So um, real estate is a hard industry to really stick out in because there's just a lot of there's a lot of people who are offering uh, you know real estate options. Or so there's a lot yeah. of realtors out there. So um, it's a crowded market. Uh, it's hard to stand out. But a way that we found to do that was creating messenger ads. Uh, they ran straight through to messenger. So when you clicked on it, popped open a message window and you could talk to the um, real estate company. Which is an and option on Facebook where you can like set it to be a, your CTA yeah, for those that's your objective. listening. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I ramble. <laughs> um, but yeah, we basically created uh, advertisements that resembled uh, a Tinder profile. So that kind of stuck out a little bit when people are scrolling Facebook and you're like, oh, that's Tinder. Why is this here? Mm-hmm. And then it's a house. And we talk about this is Beverly and she's she's just here for your dog or something like <laughs> that. It was, just, it was just funny. You just came up with witty captions and you built it in a slideshow format because that's one of the built-in formats. Yep, so you can formats. swipe right through. <laughs> yeah, so that it became swipeable. You can have like 10 different pictures and little descriptions. And uh, yeah, you designed that just look like a Tinder ad, which is, mm-hmm. I thought, really clever. What was the success of that? The leads were coming in at an, around $3 each. So those messenger mm-hmm. conversations were starting for about $3 a piece. 
mm-hmm. which I mean, I've worked, um, I've worked with clients that will pay as much as, you know, hundreds or even over a thousand dollars for a single lead. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, well, a house buying lead is valuable. Yeah. And if you're getting them for three bucks, <laughs> a real estate maybe doesn't get that lofty, but yeah. some, it just varies from business to business. How much a lead the conversion rate was when after on those leads. So that's hard to gauge for sure. Um, because to be honest with you, some of the leads were a little lower quality because mm-hmm. people were just interested in the advertisement. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, when they're coming in at that low, mm-hmm. it doesn't cost that much to get through to a good one. So mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily stick around for the follow through of that. Um, or I didn't really, you know, find out what they did with all the leads. Yeah. But you just, that was the end of it. You just gave them a bunch of leads and then it was yeah. their their ballpark from there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I like to try to see the process through as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means, uh, you know, a landing page with as much information as possible. Sometimes it's an email campaign. Other times I'm just getting leads. Mm-hmm. What do you use for email marketing? Uh, for email marketing? I mean, I usually use MailChimp. It's just easy. It's free. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of different things out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. So what are some things that surprised you when you were running um, ads? Like what are some of your biggest surprises in your career? First, it could be something that worked really well that you didn't expect to work or something that you thought for sure was going to work and completely bombed. I think it can be absolutely either one of those things. Yeah. I'm... Lots of times. <laughs> Are, are there any ones that stick out to you? There was, there's one I'm thinking of. This is fairly recent. Um, there was, there's a company um, that we're working with. I didn't create the campaign specifically, but I was uh, helping out with this campaign where there were, <clears throat> it started and they were making a ton of sales right off the bat. It was mostly Google ads. Mm-hmm. But it was a very high intention product. So when people are looking for it, they usually bought it. Um, but the cost to acquire a click or a lead was really, really high. You know, you're mm. usually paying, paying like 15 to 20 bucks um, for each lead. Um, so it was it was like bulk rope. I don't know if I can say that or not. But that's what the product was. I know. So exactly you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so basically, they're buying a ton of rope at once. Um, the, 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 the leads were usually coming in. Um, pretty consistently, they were making a ton of sales and it was just going up and up and up, up month after month. And I've seen this in different campaigns. So I was a little bit not surprised, but it still looked a little, uh, a little off. The sales went way up for month after month. And then they dropped a bunch mm-hmm. like this month. And for, for almost a full 30 days, they were a lot lower. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> I was talking to um, I was talking to my brother who runs the company that I um, that I work with, and he um, he was asking me, okay, what do you what do you think? What do you think is going wrong with this campaign? So usually, what I will do in those scenarios is take it to to the source. So the consumer when they come in, um, what happens after that, and then I follow that 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 funnel more mm-hmm. or less. The process. I follow it down. Yeah. I like to think of it like a leaky pipe. Mm-hmm. I'm following the plumbing system to find out, okay, where are people spilling out? Yeah. So I start at the top and the top is impressions. Mm-hmm. Are we still getting impressions? Are people seeing the advertisements that we're putting out? Mm-hmm. And it looked like the advertisements, the impressions, uh, well, actually 
go a step higher, I looked at um, Google Trends. Mm-hmm. And I was looking, okay, what are people searching for these kinds of ropes that they want? Um, I was, was this a Facebook options. ad or a Google search? This ad. was Google. Okay. Um, but it stays the same across platforms to some yeah. extent. Um, people were searching for these, uh, you know, these different kinds of rope pretty consistently. Sometimes there was some variation, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I did was looked at impressions. Um, we were still getting impressions, but that's something that cut in half from the last uh, month, mm-hmm. which could just be, you know, people being people, um, maybe searching less. Um, it was not too significantly less. And then I looked at clicks. Clicks was 50 the last month versus 30 this month. Mm-hmm. And that's where if you looked at the sales, there was a vast difference. But if you looked at the clicks, it was only 20 different. So mm-hmm. 50 to 30. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we tracked down that our actual ads are not performing any different. Mm-hmm. They are performing close to the same within a normal fluctuation. Right. And then I looked at the actual conversion on the page. Um, and apparently there were some small changes, mm-hmm. but nothing too significant. And then later that day, they made a bunch of sales. So oh. I was like, okay, <sighs> that was one of those scenarios where I'm thinking, it looks like something's wrong. But if you dig into the actual performance of the ads, it's not people are just not responding the same way they did last month. Okay. So it was... <laughs> The, the landing pages where you were losing them? Um, yeah, in those specific scenarios. But between 50 and 30 people, I don't think that's a large enough sample size to say for sure right. that something's wrong. Right. And then it turned out it wasn't because we made a bunch more sales that same day. Okay. So it just looked like it because they dropped for a month and then they peaked again. Okay. Gotcha. But the but you diagnosed it as the landing page. You made changes there, and that's what made the spike go back up. There were actually no changes at all. It oh. was just one of those scenarios where, like you were saying, some weird situations where, like, mm. I didn't expect something to happen. You expect that an upward trajectory will always continue that oh, way. It doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. It no. tanked for a full month, and mm. then it shot back up again. It's you always, just don't know. It's always like yeah. that. I always feel like I get diminishing returns. It only works for a period of time and it always drops off but i mean if you look at markets in general that there's always a yep um it's a bell curve that's a surprise you can always count on is yeah you can always count on a crash that's the takeaway all right where's my clapper that's exactly (laughs) yep yep i mean it will always go up too it's the same with uh you know i was split testing an ad the other day like i ran less than a dollar on a campaign got three shares out of it and i was like great this is the headline. This is the one I'm going with. And mm-hmm. then I pushed more money into it. And then like uh, that maybe was a little bit of a too fast of a decision. And mm. then it just stopped. Like oh. people like this, the shares just hit a brick wall Oof. and it was like fly like hotcakes. And then it hit like 12 and then it just stopped. And I'm like, where, what's going on? And you throw so, more money on it and your, yeah. <laughs> your cost per conversion goes. And the reality up. is if I leave it for another week, it's probably going to start to pick up again and slowly, you know, go up and down. But right mm. now I'm in that down period. Yeah. <laughs> I hit the up for a bit and then I got stuck down. It's kind of like the know. stock market where people um, start to get afraid when things start to fall versus mm-hmm. trusting that it's going to come come back up. Yeah. yeah. It usually does. Yeah. Not well, sometimes always. it stays down a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just got to, you know, use your judgment on that and figure out if you got to weather the storm. Or if you've got a yep. change and, and pivot. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes there are adjustments that need to be made, but not always. Sometimes you just have to be patient. <laughs> and sometimes is... a small adjustment can go a long ways. I had mm-hmm. some guys on this podcast earlier, and they said they changed their call to action from start free trial now to start now, and it dramatically increased their conversion rate. <laughs> yep. yep. I was uh, doing some research the other day on like what specifically does like landing page changes? How much can they change mm-hmm. your conversion rates? And um, one specific statistic um, I found was that when some, uh, you know, studies were done, not just like this is my experience, but actual full studies, mm-hmm. you know, with lots of different cases and lots of different user interactions um, were done on the color of a call to action button. Oh, okay. The color can change the actual conversion rates as much as 25%. Wow. And that's just the color of a button. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) So to think that the actual call to action and the content of the page could Mm. affect so many more things, Mm. it's like... Every variable could make a massive impact. What color was the highest? Oh, I don't... I think green is always the the best. Really, green. If I remember right, I feel yeah. like a, a green is not as strong of a color. That kind of surprises me. I feel like like bright green says go, and that's why okay. that's why people psychologically are like, oh yeah, that's what I want to hit. So <laughs> hmm. I would have thought a more urgent color would have performed better. That's interesting. I mean, a lot of the times, uh, as long as it is a bright color, a lot of uh, experts will um, encourage you to use and i always encourage clients to do this too is to use um any kind of color that's bright enough that it sticks out from the rest of the brand just a little bit even if it's off brand it drives designers nuts (laughs) but i'll always go with like a little bit of a bright yellow maybe a bright green something that sticks out yeah um i think a call to action should have its own color that will be different from any color on your website for me i haven't currently developed i'm still working on some updates with my website but the color scheme i'm going with it's all it's all like teal (laughs) gray black white but my call to action is going to be yellow yep yeah uh so let's see um what is your advice for people who want to get started with social media marketing i would say have have some budget if you can <laughs> and find some people that you can do it for for free mm-hmm. because that's basically what I did to get started. I, you know, I helped a couple people, you know, try some things and I blew way too much of my own money trying to mm. learn how to do this. Mm. <laughs> like way too much. <laughs> trying things and finding out what works and what mostly what doesn't work. Gotcha. So a lot of pretty much anybody I've ever talked to has learned how to do social media ads. Well, it's like you're going to, has said you're either going to pay somebody else $5,000 to learn how to, or to run your ads for you, or you're going to spend 5,000 of your own money trying to figure out how to do it right. And then lock it in. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much everyone I've ever heard from has basically said the same thing. That's a good comparison. You're spending the same amount. It's just how much time do you want to invest? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if, if your time is better spent on other parts of your business, hire a professional. If 
if you want to, yeah, if hire, <laughs> find, find this guy. I made the mistakes. So you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like a, a saying I or a little story I always like uh, where this plumber gets called in to fix the plumbing and he comes in. All he does is he tightens a screw and he's like, all right, that's 200 bucks. And the guy's like, all you did was tighten a screw. And he's like, yeah, well, 10 cents for the screw and then the rest for uh, knowing which screw to tighten. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we're just about out of time. So I'm going to wrap up with this last question. Fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your top three secrets to finding a winning ad. Hmm. Top three secrets to finding a winning ad is... Suspense building. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, please don't make this a little snippet that you put on social media. Oh, it's going to be a little snippet, so you better make it good. Okay. Um, Top three things. I would say definitely make sure that you lock in some kind of interesting, um, interesting headline, which is usually going to be some kind of pattern interrupt. Make sure that you have something that sticks out in the newsfeed, um, especially if you're on Facebook, because mm-hmm. there's so many things on there. Make something that sticks out and is not what people would expect. So number Se- one, pattern interrupter. Great. Yeah. I'm gonna and then second, <laughs> second, I would say make sure you make it about the audience, not about yourself. Don't talk about your brand. Talk about the experiences of what the audience actually wants and experiences in their everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and three would be to test the crap out of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to have a huge budget to do a little bit of testing. Um, don't just run the first thing that comes to mind. Um, run a couple different headlines. You'd be surprised what um, what happens with that. Run a couple different audiences to make sure that you uh, lock that in. And make sure your objectives are really clear. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, this is so been... four. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this has uh, been the Digital Fluid Marketing Podcast. If you want to learn more about Emberly Digital and what Chandler does in the social media world, you can go check them out at emberlydigital.com. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Take care, guys.